Hosea. We'll be reading chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Then we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Since the reading of God's word. I have to confess, until I moved to Southern California, I didn't know the value of spring rains. The rainy season in where we lived in Southern California was February. Uh, and, and this text just came alive because it's really dry until then. Up here, not so much. But brothers and sisters, that's the refreshing character of God. He comes to us like the spring rain. Turn now to Matthew, our sermon text. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Continuing our, our work in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Sends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Lord and Father, we thank you for giving us this word. Words of our Savior and his marvelous actions. His wonderful deeds, O Lord, of love and mercy. Help us to understand it well. May the meditations of our hearts, O Lord, this day be pleasing in your sight in the words of my mouth. Our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are working through Matthew. We have finished three short episodes uh, that display Jesus' authority, his power and authority. In the last episode, Jesus had healed this paralytic, and the people were afraid. Uh, they, were, they were so bewildered, they, didn't, they just didn't know how to respond to this. Here's a man who could forgive sins. So they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Well, not men in general, <laughs> but to Jesus. Uh, 
And then it says in verse 9, he passed on from there. So you have this uh, movement now. Jesus is moving and he's leading somewhere. And you see that in our chapter 9 of Matthew. We're actually moving through this episode. It's a movement to some place. And where we're going is the great harvest. He talks about the fields are ripe for harvest. Pray that the Lord would send out labors in the fields to bring in the harvest. And that's at the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10, which we'll see in good time. But that's where we're moving. And to that effect, he calls Matthew. Because he's preparing the way for the harvest of this age, which he will be conducting throughout this age. The Lord Jesus Christ is directing the affairs of this world. And he is bringing in the harvest through his people. Uh, And that's what we're seeing here. But who does he call? He calls the lost sheep. He calls tax gatherers and sinners to be in his church. To be, even this tax gatherer will now be one of his disciples, this Matthew character. Uh, and Matthew isn't necessarily an extremely sinful guy just because he's collecting taxes. You don't have to necessarily be sinful. But they were hated and associated with sinners. People did not invite them to meals because they were hated. Now, when it says tax collectors, notice in verse 9, Matthew 9, verse 9, he's sitting at a tax booth. This is a toll booth. It's sort of like a toll booth on one of our highways. But in this instance, it's a toll booth probably for a fisherman would come in and have to check in there, have their uh, fishing load weighed, and then pay a tax on that load. And so it's a toll based on the harvest. It would be similar to crop taxes. So farmers would have to pay a toll based on how much they took in from their fields. But the people who took in this toll were not well loved. Later on, the rabbis would write as follows. Now, this is later on, a couple of centuries, but it captures still the rabbinic rabbis, the Jewish teachers' attitudes toward tax gatherers. Hear this. Concerning tax collectors and confiscators, extortioners, and collectors of customs, Scripture declares, quote, your riches, your wares, your merchandise, sink into the heart of the sea on the day of your fall. Now, what's fascinating about this is the rabbis are quoting from Ezekiel, which is an oracle against Tyre, this pagan city. And they've applied it to all the tax gatherers. And notice that they they talk about tax gatherers and toll booth collectors like Matthew. Um, and they associate them with extortioners. <laughs> so this is this is the attitude toward people. Uh, they had uh, tax gatherers were uh, there was a lot of suspicion about them. Now, some of you may know IRS agents uh, at our last 
church. Uh, we had an IRS agent, a prominent member of the congregation. And he would always smile when we talked about tax debtors and sinners <laughs> in all good humor. But um, the, to tell you the truth, if, if I had to meet with the IRS, this is the guy I'd want to meet with. He was a, an upright man and a man who had actually a lot of compassion upon people he would audit. It was all business stuff, not people like you and me. Anyway, this is, this, is, uh, this is Matthew. Now, what's interesting is Matthew carries this title throughout his history. We're reading Matthew, right? It's interesting. Uh, but he carries this title. So if you look at the disciples in chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, so Matthew 10, 2 through 4, you get the names of the 12 disciples. So James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, you know, Andrew, the brother, Peter. And then it says, Matthew, the tax collector. <laughs> he can't get rid of that title. Matthew, the tax collector. That's what he's known by throughout all of history. Matthew, the tax collector. Um, it's interesting, in Mark, he's called Levi, son of Alphaeus. So, you know, Mark gave him a break. Uh, but here's the point. Matthew's known not as an exalted personage who deserved mercy from Christ. He received mercy from the Lord and a call in his church to serve him as an apostle of grace, of his kindness, overcoming his former life. Brothers and sisters, that's us as well. So Matthew bears that name, the tax collector. And, you know, others are fishermen. Other people volunteer. But Matthew's called. And notice what he does. It's, it's, I don't think it's so abrupt because Matthew's running out of paper and he just wants to say something abrupt in verse 9. Jesus passed by, sees Matthew and says, follow me, two words. And then he, he got up and followed him. There's no debating. There's no, oh, let me do this first. Let me. There, there's no hesitation. Matthew hears the call and he responds. Because this is the, this is the once in a lifetime call that he receives. And if you're going to follow Jesus at that point, it is to follow as one of his close disciples. One who is entrusted with the kingdom of God and its announcement, the good news would be spread through these twelve, which includes Matthew. Well, then in verse 10, Jesus shows his acceptance of Matthew by eating with him in his house. Now, verse 10 says this, I'm reading the English Standard Version, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house... But you can render that in his house. I think that's how it should be understood. It's not just, you know, the house in general, but it's in Matthew's house. Uh, we're actually told that in another gospel. So this is clear in Matthew as well. In his house. It's, it's a common way you would take that phrase. And I think that's how we want to take it here. Uh, so he, Jesus has called him and now he's eating with him uh, in his home. And by the way, reclining at table. They didn't eat at tables 
in chairs like we do. They reclined on couches when they ate. Um, they regarded that as civilized. I regard it as a nap. Yeah. So they would, uh, here's Jesus showing his acceptance of Matthew by eating with him. But notice that then it says, many tax collectors and sinners. Now, how do you identify a sinner? <laughs> you wear, you know, you wear a headband, sinner, you know. How, how are sinners identified? Well, you, you can't really speculate. It's not safe to speculate about scripture exactly. But first of all, this is not a big town. People knew one another. So, you know, the people who are eating there were well known. And they were well known to be flagrantly unconcerned about the things of God. And living lifestyles which identified them as sinners. But even more so, they're eating in Matthew's home. This tax collector, that makes you a sinner. They're, the people who are with Matthew, eating with him, makes makes them sinners by that alone. But then, furthermore, there's a third thing that you have to read on, which would be the next time we work on this text, next week, actually. Uh, and that is, the disciples of John talk about fasting and why they're fasting, why they're eating. So this is probably a fast day. And people are heedless of the, you know, the words of the higher-ups, the Pharisees of the time, that they should be fasting, and they just ignore all that. They're eating, so that makes them sinners as well. So this is this is how you know that they're sinners. And the Bible, you know, here doesn't specify what that means, and there's no reason to speculate. But it's people who are indeed sinful, people who are pretty much excluded by their community, uh, by the church, as it were. This is people who were had no regard by their neighbors. And so here is Jesus, who's reputed to be this pure uh, teacher of the law, this man who's going to bring in righteousness with his words and actions. He's had some very high-sounding words in the Sermon on the Mount about righteousness, not promoting sin whatsoever. In fact, when he talked about the law, it was very rigorous. Uh, but then here's, here are the Pharisees in particular, verse 11, who are questioning why he and his disciples are eating with these people. Because eating with people means that you accept them. This is, this is fellowship with them. This is saying to, to the world, these are my folk. These are you know, this is a family gathering, as it were. Um, and Jesus is engaged in that activity with them. And because of that, they question him. Why is your teacher, notice that word, your teacher, not Lord, not Master, not the Messiah, but he's only recognized as a teacher by the Pharisees. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice how the tax collectors are always lumped in with sinners. Well, here's Jesus' defense. Why he came. 
This is the second of three places in Matthew where he tells you why he came. So he says it three times, I came for this reason. The first one is in chapter 5. He says, I did not come to throw over the law or the prophets and to destroy them. I did not come to eradicate the religion of your fathers from the old covenant scriptures. I came to fulfill them. That's why I came. I came to fulfill the scriptures. And not one little mark in the scripture will fail until everything's fulfilled. I came to fulfill them. So notice this the implication here. Our Lord Jesus Christ came. We just confess that. He came down from heaven. He came. He arrived here with a purpose. And that's the first one. Not to destroy biblical religion, but to fulfill it. And what all that means, you have to just keep reading in Matthew. See, this is where Matthew's unity. You're going to see what that means as you keep reading through Matthew. And here's part of it. The second. So notice what he says at the end of our passage. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. I came. I came for this reason. I came to call sinners. And notice how he says, I'm fulfilling that prophecy of Hosea. That prophecy of Hosea is guiding me in my ministry. Because Hosea is writing about me and what I'm up to. I'm up to showing the mercy of God for sinners. Remember that Hosea passage. You may need to reread it. God has broken his people for their sin. But now he calls them to come back and to to expect God to come to them like the refreshing spring rain. And to heal them. Because God is a God of mercy and compassion. He does not remember his anger forever. And here he has sent his son. I came. My father sent me that I would call sinners. And invite them into eternal life in the kingdom of God. Because I'm the king of that realm. And I'm inviting these people, Matthew, the tax collector, his tax collector friends, and these sinners gathered around me. I'm calling them into eternal life and the mercy of God to receive mercy and compassion, uh, even in the midst of their sin. That's what Jesus is saying. I came for that reason. And remember his name. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I probably mentioned this, forgive me if I'm repeating, but that's in Matthew 1, 21, name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. That's not really what you have in the Old Testament. When you have God announcing that he will save his people, it's from enemies all around, not from their sins. But here Jesus is going to save people from their sins. And again, you've got to keep reading in Matthew how that's going to be worked out because in the end of the day, it's going to be the cross. But Jesus is calling people to look to him for deliverance from their sins. 
Because that's why he came. He came to fulfill that. And then the third one we will see in chapter 10. Jesus in chapter 10 says he came because he's going to bring not peace, but a sword on the earth. We'll have to deal with that in good time. Let me read to you from 1 Timothy 1.15, which is perfectly relevant for this. 1 Timothy 1.15. It is a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. I almost, in my preparation for today, I almost chopped out that last bit, thinking, yeah, well, Paul, we don't need to hear about him on that. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then I thought, no, we've got to hear that. Among whom I am foremost of all. This is the right attitude Paul displays. I'm the foremost of all the sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, even even me. And Matthew agrees. Matthew, the tax collector. How he's known through history, 2,000 years, he's Matthew the tax collector, the one who is despised, who engaged in an occupation that gave him a lot of shame uh, among his contemporaries. Not always justified, but it's the fact. And he, he says, uh, yes, I'm a sinner too. And Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is, this is what Hosea is teaching us. That the Lord would turn back his people from their faithlessness. And he would start with the most despised and shamed people. People who had the, the lowest public reputation. People who are most desperate. Brothers and sisters, it didn't matter to him to associate with the most desperate, despised people. And he's a king of glory. This is, this is Jesus who has displayed who he is. He has just forgiven the sins of a man because he's the judge of all the earth. He has been, a, he has been appointed by his Father to stand up on the last day and judge the whole world. He will judge all of his creatures. There's a man appointed by God on Judgment Day, and its name is Jesus, the Messiah. He's a man and the Son of God incarnate. And that's the one who forgave sins. He had that right. And here he is displaying not just that one guy. He's got a lot of other people in mind to forgive their sins as well. This is why you hear the forgiveness of sins every Lord's Day. This is why your sins need to be forgiven. Because throughout the week we still wander off from our great shepherd. But he turns us back. And our Lord Jesus Christ does not despise us. You know, one of the the passages in scriptures that gives me the most hope and the most comfort when I think about myself and my life It's when the disciples come to Jesus and say, how many times should we forgive a brother if he sins against us seven times? Jesus is seven times 70. And you know what the comfort is of that? 
That's how often He forgives us and even more. Seven times 70,000. Seven times 70 million. He forgives us. This is what He's like. His compassion fails not. He desires not animal sacrifice, but compassion because that's that's who He is. And He wants us to imitate Him and grow in His image as forgiving people. Matthew was remembered as one of these sinners. This is who he was. But brothers and sisters, I can tell you, Matthew did repent. We know that by his subsequent actions. He embraced the call of Christ. Notice what he did. He got up and followed Jesus. That's the first step. You follow Jesus. That's the first step of this journey to no longer be a sinner. Is you follow Jesus. And the next step is you follow his ways. And part of it is to be compassionate and forgiving like he is. This is, this is the, this is the gospel being proclaimed in Jesus' day. That's why he came to extend the mercy of God through the gospel. And God is demonstrating his gospel love toward sinners. Now, I'm going to turn to another passage that I just can't resist. If you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. Otherwise, I'll just read it for you. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Romans 5, 6 through 11. This is a passage that you don't want to miss all the things that this has. And this is a passage where there's called accumulation. You start piling stuff up. And the things that get piled up, it gets worse and worse. Okay? So there's a development here in Paul's statement. Verse 6, Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Weak. You could also render that helpless. We were helpless. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. That's who we are apart from Christ. But thank God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul has read through Matthew. He's seen the end of the story. It's the blood of Christ which solves our dilemma. We are sinners like Matthew and those people eating with Jesus. And he came to call them. He came here to call you. Brothers and sisters, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And you follow him as those who've been redeemed from that state. And He has washed you pure. He has cleansed you from your sins. And you walk in new life that He's called you for. Amen. Let's pray.
Almighty God, our Lord and Father, this is easy to talk about and hard to live. Give us of your spirit, O Lord, that we may walk in that newness of life, no longer characterized by wanton sin and turning ourselves over to the power of darkness. Help us to walk in the light of this great Savior who came to call sinners. He came for us. And here we see mercy, and not sacrifice, but mercy, and even upon sinful people like us. We pray, O Lord, that we would be as forgiving as he is. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.